0: Welcome again to Fantastical Truth. This is a special bonus episode from the podcast from Lorehaven, where we find truth in fantastic stories. I am E. Steven Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven, free webzine available at lorehaven.com. We explored the Christian-made science fiction novel Oxygen uh, with an old acquaintance of mine, Randy Ingermanson. He co-wrote that book with John B. Olson in the early 2000s. And we, in our episode, explored a retrospective of this now-aborted timeline where NASA had uh, sent a first and woman mission to Mars. That didn't happen, alas. But if you read Oxygen, it did happen. And not only did this happen, but the mission did not go without a hitch. Uh, There was an explosion en route, and one of the four astronauts turned out to be possibly a saboteur. I loved that story when I first read it. And so if you want to hear more about that, uh, go back to that episode of Fantastical Truth exploring oxygen with Randy Ingermanson. However, in that interview, we also went back to Randy Ingermanson's first love. Uh, He actually wants to be the novelist who is known for being a Tom Clancy-style thriller writer in first-century Jerusalem. And his new series is actually called Crown of Thorns, which is a biblical fiction series. Biblical fiction is another one of my favorite genres, along with fantastical stories. For Randy, though, uh, he's been used to combining the speculative elements, even some time travel in some of his earlier biblical fiction novels set in first century Jerusalem. This one, uh, this new series, I don't think it has any time travel going on, but it does follow the adventures, the mission of Jesus Christ. Very speculative there as Jesus is discovering in his humanity who he is and what he is sent to do and a lot of the mission that he's been called to do in first century Jerusalem. The first novel called Son of Mary, actually released on Palm Sunday 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, Randy will describe a bit as to why he did that and what is going on with the series. We also talk a lot about biblical fiction as a genre and in particular what we do when we're reading the gospels and seeing some details that might seem to be uh, contradictory or what do Christians think about the Bible itself and uh, how can we enjoy and speculate about what truly happened in the Bible's true history through the genre of biblical fiction. Let's pick up with that interview now. Let's move on to uh, the biblical fiction that you've written, Randy. Uh, you started with transgression as we mentioned. And from there you did two other books that continue that story. There's the City of God series called Premonition and Retribution. I really enjoyed those. Those continue what happens with uh, Ari and Rivka as they are trapped in first century Jerusalem. The wormhole has winked out. And not only that, but the Jewish, uh, the invasion of Jerusalem in AD 70 is coming. Uh, Rivka knows her history as best she can. And so she actually takes on a bit of a role of a prophetess. Not sure if that violates the uh, the Federation's time travel prime directive. There, <laughs> <laughs> she does her best to stay out of the way, but you know, and every once in a while, she might get something wrong. Those were really good, and they were also really gritty. Uh, certainly from uh, from a Christian publisher. Uh, I remember, in particular, a crucifixion scene where you go through <laughs> and portray exactly what happens. Wow, you lose control of your body, and you know, right. they, I mean, it, it was tasteful. I feel now. But wow, I mean, that was some powerful stuff. Uh, I got to ask, you know, as you look back on that, you know, what, how you appreciated being able to spend more time there in the first century before coming back to it with the Crown of Thorns series.
1: Uh, Yeah, that series, uh, actually Transgression, uh, which was my first novel. Yes, it's a, it's a biblical novel, but uh, when my publisher submitted it for the, uh, for the Christie Awards. I assumed they were going to put it in the historical category they didn't they put it in the futuristic category, which is strange oh, to me because yeah. it's going back in time, but they put it in the science fictiony category and so it it won you know a, a christie award uh, uh in in the basically the the sci-fi category at that time rather than the um the the historical thing so it really it it blends very nicely my sciencey stuff and my a strong interest in history. But let, let me tell you why I'm so interested in in this time period. Please um, do. <clears throat> so, uh, I think we all know that something major happened in the first century, right? Jesus came along, but there were two other uh, two other major major things that happened in the first century. One of them was the birth of another major world religion that would be rabbinic judaism so rabbinic judaism was born in the late part of the 1st century why was it born in the late part of the 1st century isn't judaism an ancient religion that goes back to abraham well uh, yes and no rabbinic judaism which is the what we have to this day came from the 1st century as a result of the destruction of jerusalem in 70 ad there was no longer a temple, there could no longer be sacrifices, how could Jews continue to exist? Rabbinic Judaism was born out of that question. But, okay, so the the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD is tied very closely to Rabbinic Judaism. It's also tied very closely to Jesus, okay, because Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. And clearly uh, uh, his, his uh, conflicts with the powers that be were closely tied in to the powers in the temple, the Sadducees, uh, and closely also tied in to the Pharisees, who were the, the, the people who ultimately became uh, the, the founders of rabbinic Judaism. So there were three incredibly significant things that happened in the first century. There was the Jesus movement rabbinic Judaism, and the destruction of Jerusalem, they're all tied together in a very tight way. And I wanted to explore that in this series. I've understood that at some intuitive level now since the mid-80s, but the more I learn about it, the more I recognize just how tightly those those, uh, three things are tied together. Uh, And my feeling is that there are elements of the New Testament we will never understand until we fully understand how those things are connected.
0: I really look forward to finding all of those little plot twists that God has, has reserved for himself. And then we'll get to just open our eyes wide as if we're getting a, a director's commentary. <laughs> wow. I never saw that before. And like all the top theologians in the world, you know, they may have gotten fairly close to some of them, uh, but uh, just, just miss this one little one that just undergirds how amazing uh, the plot was that God was putting together. Uh, Jesus, by the way, makes that prediction in uh, Matthew 24. It's one of the saddest moments, I think, in the New Testament where he says, do you see these stones? I tell you, not right, one of them right, will remain on Mark
1: top of the other. Yes, Yeah,
0: um, a parallel text there. Uh, so that was, uh, that, I mean, you jump ahead then to the, the New Testament, uh, uh, the era of the Acts of the Apostles in that series, and we even have you know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle James, I believe at the time they thought they had right. recovered his, uh, his coffin uh, with, the, with the name James on it. and. That was part of the marketing for premonition, I believe. But then now switching over what you're doing now is you're stepping back from the time travel, from the acts of the apostles. Although I guess technically it could still be in continuity because your next series, crown of thorns, uh, I believe it's now released and, uh, the book one. anyway.
1: Right, right. Book one just released on uh, Palm Sunday. So about, what is it? Two or three weeks ago now.
0: Ah, fantastic timing. And that actually, Jesus is the central figure there. I would love to hear a little bit about how long that has been in the making, uh, going back to the earlier part of the first century, a more crucial part, obviously, because it's got the hero of heroes
1: uh, on center stage. Right, right. So in the fall of 2004, my agent called me and says, hey, how would you like to write a novel about Jesus? I go, ah, that sounds good. He says, how would you like to co-author that with, then he named a major Uh, big name person. I go, oh, that sounds good. And he says, look, we've got a publisher interested in this. Can you put together a proposal? So I did. We wrote the proposal. My agent moved out of agenting and became a publisher, but his co-agent moved in, took took control of it. We sold the deal to a publisher and everything seemed great until I wrote the story. (laughs) And then there were issues. I'm not going to go into those, but there were issues with, you know, the co-author, and there were issues with the the publisher. And eventually, the the deal just fell apart. And I was left with a manuscript that the publisher didn't want. And but I I owned the manuscript. My agent then tried to um, sell it to other publishers and uh with only my name on the cover they were people were a lot less interested so uh i just told my agent great you know could i just take this can i just hold this a, a, in reserve for for later and he said sure eventually as i started doing um uh, indie publishing i talked to my agent again and says can i just you know publish this as an indie project and he says no problem it's all yours you you have complete rights to it uh so i've been sitting on it for a long time waiting for the the time to be right and about 5 or 6 years ago i started actually making money with my city of god series uh, as an indie series uh, that is a, i re-released those books they made me a fair bit of money enough that i could go to jerusalem and work on an archaeological dig and you know that's a lifelong dream of mine to do that i spent a few weeks in Jerusalem and in Magdala on the Sea of Galilee, and I went back the next year, and I went back the next year, and uh, again last year, uh, not this year unfortunately uh, for uh, several reasons. Uh, But I've I've now been to Israel five times. I've driven all around where things happen, and I've got a, a, a strong feel for the geography of the place. And geography really plays into story. And so finally after years and years it's now been more than 15 years since I got that call from my agent I've finally released book 1 in the series and I actually um sent a complimentary copy of um the ebook to that agent he just emailed me yesterday and says he's reading it now so it's been a long long time in the making but I think it's a much better book now than it was back in 2005, 2006, when things kind of fell apart. I think things happen for a reason. And that would have been a good book then. It's a much, much better book now. Um, I just have a much deeper understanding of the story of Jesus. And one of the issues I've always had with the greatest story ever told that's what they call it. The greatest story ever co- told is that it's actually not a very good story in the technical sense that you know people teach you in writing school how to make a good story. <laughs> not much happens for three and a half years, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's dead. Okay. What kind of a story is that where all the action <laughs> happens in the last week, okay? And all that stuff in the middle of uh, three, three years where he's going around and, and doing stuff, a lot of that is actually kind of boring, uh, as it's portrayed in, in movies. I hate to say it, but it, it's I, I don't find most of the movies that I've seen on Jesus interesting. So I wanted to. Well, it's make very it, it's very episodic.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, You're it's trying it's to like, adapt it faithfully. It's very episodic. Yeah.
1: What, what, what's the connection between this and that? So I've tried to kind of figure out what what are the connections. And that's, that's a hard thing to do because the Gospels don't make it easy. The Gospels are written in a different genre than I'm writing. The Gospels are written in what at that time was a brand new genre. There had never been a Gospel written until the first century. Obviously, these stories in the first century made an epic, just an, an intellectual earthquake in the Roman Empire. but. Things have moved on. We work in different genres today. We work in the genres of movies and novels, and the gospels are not that genre. So, what I want to do is now take that story and say, how can I recast that into the genres that 21st century people understand in a way that will resonate with 21st century people?
2: That's wonderful. Randy, I love how you said that geography informs so much about the stories that take place. In the Bible and the you know in the, in the stories you're telling, uh, my grandfather pops uh, a long time ago told me that when he went to the Holy Land, he said he could feel that it was a different place, and he just just had this smile on his face, but it's like he couldn't even describe it and it, as much as he tried to tell me about it 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 just seems like such a special place, so it sounds like you're Experiences there have really informed your writing, so that's amazing. Right. Um, you know, you made reference to how there's so little <laughs> recorded in the gospels, and how, yeah, you know, you, there's all these missing pieces that you wonder about. In our last episode, Steve and I talked about John 21 25, like the very last verse of mm-hmm. the gospel of John, where he says, You know, Jesus did many other things too, <laughs> which, if they were yeah. all written down, the world couldn't contain all the books that would be written, and so. And, you know, what we speculate about is that when we get to heaven or or to the new earth, there will be books that we will get to read about all of the details of Jesus' life on earth. So if, Randy, here's my question for you, which book would you pick up about Jesus' life? Like, wh- which of those missing stories would you want to read about?
1: The the missing stories? Uh, oh, I just so many. It's the gospel sto- accounts are often just very disconnected they're they as you said highly episodic it's just you know, i want to understand the timeline i have a spreadsheet with basically every scene from the gospels and i've been trying for years to figure out how this how, how it all fits together what's the timeline what happened first at at what point in the story does that terrible incident at nazareth happen because uh, it's it's unclear, you know, in one of the Gospels, it looks like it happens basically right away. And in another one, it appears that it happens actually quite late in his career. So when did it happen? It makes a difference to the story in, in the way that you interpret things. So, uh, you know, I have to choose. At the end of the day, when you're writing a novel, you can't say, well, you know, it's 30% likely that it happened here and... 40% likely that it happened here. You have to, you have to choose. You have to nail it down to one particular date. You have to make a decision. Yeah, you know, when you're writing a novel, you know for sure you're just going to make all kinds of wrong decisions, and you have to live with that. I'm okay with that, but I'm trying to find something that gives me a coherent story from start to finish. So I've I've kind of cast the the quest of Jesus in in stages um, as you know, Jesus learns early on from a prophet, from John the Baptist that he has to defeat the four powers. So that adds a little bit of a uh, fantasy element to the story, but I think it's actually genuine. You know, Paul talks about, you know, we fight against principalities and powers, and if you look, that is all through the New Testament. The notion that we our battle is against powers. So uh, Jesus is told he has to defeat the four powers, and we know theologically uh, for the last two thousand years, theologians. Have insisted that Jesus did, in fact, defeat four powers. He defeated sin, he defeated Satan, he defeated death, and he defeated religion. Those are the four powers Jesus defeated. Okay, so the question is what did that look like? What does it mean to defeat death? What does it mean to defeat sin or Satan? What do we mean by Satan? What do we mean by death? What do we mean by sin? And what do we mean by religion? So again, I have no guarantees that I will get it right. What I want to do is just, you know, stimulate thought on this so that maybe someone else can get it more right. We don't have to we don't have to be perfect here. But I, I do think that there are some deep themes in the Gospels that that, you know, I'd like to explore.
2: Well, that's perfect. You know, I, I think too often we hold up novels in fiction as though it has to be 100% accurate as though it's a science book, right. a science textbook. Right. But you're right. If, if fiction is all about stimulating thought and kind of wondering and imagining and speculating. And that that is a good thing, not because it could lead us away from the truth, but it could, it could lead us deeper into the truth. And sometimes we have to take those risks and say, well, maybe it happened like this. And then we get to really dig into it deeper.
0: I'm almost tempted to jump the gun and go ahead and do that podcast episode. We have planned Zach exploring the purpose and the definitions and expectations of biblical fiction, because uh, that may be, I would say that in terms of genre, that may be my second love after all the fantasy uh, genres, sci-fi and such. It's such a promising and rewarding uh, form of story. And um, Randy, you mentioned that uh, the gospels can seem very fragmented. That's because of the expectations of the genre. You know, if, uh, if you pick it up and expecting an exact point A to point B linear progression of the ministry of Jesus, well, even then things are going to be very fragmented because that's how real life runs, but that's not the purpose of the gospel writers who have their own emphases in mind of what to emphasize about the, the, the ministry of Jesus. Like Matthew, for example, famously really likes the Jewishness of Jesus and those mm-hmm. kingdom motifs and the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. Right. Mark really yeah. likes the speedy moments, the immediacy yeah. of the thing. And Luke likes the, uh, the emphasis on helping the marginalized and the oppressed. And John just really likes the idea of you know the son of God and the light and all those, uh, all the symbols. And John is even more thematic, you know, choosing a specific amount and a specific uh, set of miracles to emphasize. So you got to know the difference between the gospel writers purposes and then the purpose of a Christian author who is adapting the story or exploring other, uh, fictional aspects worked in alongside the historical events. And so it's not about you know just reenacting the gospel blow by blow, but not contradicting what is there and understanding that God's word is sufficient, but we do have room to imagine what might've happened with Jesus or with his followers or with uh, anyone else like, you know, Judah Ben-Hur or someone who's mm-hmm. a fictional character inserted into that universe.
1: Yeah, there's there's deep themes here. The the gospels open up a whole lot of questions that they don't answer. And theologians have been working on those for another 2000 years since then. What does it mean to say Jesus is God incarnate? What does it mean? What does the atonement mean? How does that work? People have been wrestling with that for 2000 years. And it's still hard. It's still hard. So I think that there's room for you know, a novelist to sit there and spin out a few stories and, and jiggle people's neurons, as I like to say.
2: Yeah. And, Randy, when we were talking offline earlier uh, this morning, you said to me uh, that stories keep us alive. Can you tell me more about what you meant by
1: that? Right, right. I, I actually came up with that idea a few years ago. I was uh, 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 speaking at the. Uh, a writers conference for romance writers in New Zealand, and so they asked me to um, talk about the future of publishing. I go, oh, I don't know anything about the future of publishing, and they want me to talk <laughs> for an hour on it. What am I going to say? <laughs> so I, it finally occurred to me that I should think about the past of publishing. And what is the past of story? What has story done for humanity over over the ages? So I, I, I realized that in, in our ancient past, you know, we had People living in small villages, and so I, I told this story to to the you know romance writers in New Zealand about um, yeah, a tiger hunt, or I, I think it might have been a lion hunt at the time. But uh, so um, the village is threatened by a tiger, okay, and uh, so they they go out. They know exactly what they need to do. Uh, they need to surround the tiger, and then the the tiger is going to try to break out of the circle, and he is going to attack the weakest link in that circle. He's going to look for the weakest man. And so I told the story from the viewpoint of the youngest man in the village. He's just turned, he's just come of age. He's small, he's weak, and he's terrified because he knows that the tiger is going to come for him. But he also knows exactly what he must do. When the tiger comes from him, the last thing to do is to turn and run because the tiger will will attack you, kill you, and then escape and then the the tiger will continue ravaging the village. The thing to do is face the tiger. And how does he know that he must face the tiger? He didn't learn it in tiger hunting school. You know, he learned it in story. He's heard a thousand times from the village story woman, the tale of the tiger. He has lived the story of the tiger hunt from the point of view of the hunter. And he knows that he must face the tiger when the tiger is as close as possible, he must throw his spear and he will either kill the tiger or not kill the tiger. he may die or he may live, but he must face the tiger he must face his deepest fears, stand up to the tiger, and take his best throw and in this particular telling of the tale of the tiger, he kills the tiger and at the end of the story, the village, everyone is celebrating uh, they're feasting, they've skinned the tiger they bring uh, bring the tiger skin and put it on our hero. And then the village story woman tells the tale of the tiger. And as he listens to the tale of the tiger, he realizes that, yes, I killed the tiger, but it's not only me who killed the tiger. Uh, also, the entire village killed the tiger. They participated. Mm. Also, the village story woman killed the tiger by Telling so many times this tale of the tiger, but there's something else that killed the tiger, and this is really deep. The tale of the tiger itself killed the tiger. The tale of the tiger worked its way into our hero's brain so that he had the emotional muscle memory. When push came to shove, when the tiger was three feet away, he didn't turn and run. He had lived that story so many times, he had the strength to face the tiger and to kill the tiger. That is what story does for us. It teaches the tribe how to thrive. It teaches the tribe how to survive. And you may live or you may die when you face your tiger, but the tribe will live on because you follow what the tale of the tiger has taught you over and over and over to do. That's what story does for us. It it gives us the emotional muscle memory to do the right thing
0: well, and in a biblical context what you're referring to there's a word uh, actually that jesus uses it's called discipleship it is training one another in these stories although the only difference in the christian faith is these stories are 100 true they not only through believing them redeem us and set us on that course to becoming like jesus and uh staying holy and joining with one another and loving jesus more than our sin but then we're able to spread those stories to others and have our behavior changed our whole uh, sense of the world. Right. Uh, Randy, I meant to ask you, saw that you can't predict the future of publishing, but you can probably slightly more reliably predict your future of publishing. Now that you've got this four book series coming out, uh, crown of thorns, book one, what was the title of that again?
1: Uh, son of Mary.
0: All right. Do and you have the, a title for book two?
1: Yeah. So the, the, the four books will be son of Mary, son of David, son of Adam and Son of God.
0: Ah, so biblical. That's amazing.
1: And and in each of those, Jesus takes on one of the four powers. And I'll let you guess whether he wins or loses.
0: (laughs) I can probably guess there. (laughs) Or we're going to have words, brother. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah.
1: One of the things that Jesus learns in this series is the incredible power of story itself to change people. And so he uses story more and more. You know, we read in the Gospels and there's this little parable and it's like eight verses and we go, whoa, you know, that's over in two minutes. Uh, What was he talking all day to people when he was feeding the 5,000? Did did he just tell these two minute stories? My hunch is he told these stories in much more expanded versions. And we just have kind of the, the cliff notes of the cliff notes. Okay, so I think that he told much longer, much uh, more interesting stories than the ones that we have,
0: and um, variations on the same recorded. stories
1: which right. explain some of those right.
0: conflicts that people yeah. come up with. Oh, it sounds yeah. different here. But yeah, he told it yeah. twice, and he changed it up a little bit to keep people on yeah. their toes.
1: So, actually, in my novel, I I tend to take some of those stories and expand those out in in various ways, or I show how they may have evolved because you know he probably reused stories. He probably told. The same stories hundreds of times, often in slightly different contexts. And that's what we do. If you have friends, uh, if you've talked to them long enough and heard them talk long enough, you know all their stories, right? And you know that they never tell it the same way twice. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, we're all human. We, we, we're not robots. We, we, we reuse our same material over and over again. I think Jesus did too.
0: No, it's the same thing with the gospel writers, because even though everything in there <clears throat> Christians believe is inerrant, they're going to have different emphases and they're going to tell things in a different order. And a lot of those conflicts that we think or that we hear might be in the gospels can be explained simply by acknowledging the humanity. Uh, there's going to be different uh, ways that the gospel writers tell things. It's it's still true. It's just told a little bit differently and in a little bit different order. Our thanks again to Randy Ingermanson for joining us to explore not only his foray into science fiction, but his first love of that first century thriller fiction. You can find out more about Randy at www.ingermanson.com. Check out that uh, Crown of Thorns series, starting with the novel Son of Mary, and join us again for our regularly scheduled episodes on Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven as we continue to seek and find Fantastical Truth.